This is Annabelle Steele, and you're listening to the Hayseed Scholar from Professor Brent Steele. You may call him Doctor. I just call him Dad. Here's my Uncle Kyle to introduce the show. Recording in studios from Utah to the UK and anywhere in between, you never know where Professor Brent Jameson Steele will be dropping knowledge and bringing you the best guest the universe has to offer. This is the Hayseed Scholar with Mr. Worldwide, my brother, Dr. Brent Jameson Steele. I like that one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hayseed Scholar Podcast. I'm Brent Steele. Thanks so much for listening. Today's guest is Professor Maria Malksu from the Brussels School of International Studies, an extension of the University of Kent in Brussels. I've known Maria for quite some time, since 2016, but I knew of her work a lot longer before then. Um, her work on ontological security studies and liminality is work that I've drawn on for my own research for a number of years. I am fortunate enough to call Maria a good friend, and this was such a fun um, and much-needed conversation for me uh, just to see a friend and to talk to her about her life and to hear her tell her story, which begins in Estonia, growing up in a small uh, village or small town in Estonia, and then moving to Uh, the University of Tartu, where she did her undergraduate work. We talk a little bit about her growing up in Estonia during the Cold War and then seeing the end of the Cold War and the post-Cold War era in Estonia during those years. Uh, Her undergraduate work at the University of Tartu in Estonia, her graduate work at the University of Cambridge, both her master's and PhD, were conducted there and pursued there. She returned to the University of Tartu as a research professor for a number of years. We talk about those uh, years and then her move to Brussels and the University of Kent where she is currently. Uh, We finish up by talking about her approach to writing, her approach to research topics, how she clears her mind uh, and handles stress, uh, specifically through running in the mornings. And, um, And we talk a little bit about uh, how she's getting ready to head back uh, for a little bit of a holiday, a little bit of a getaway with her wonderful family, um, going back to Estonia to see some of her extended family uh, and bringing her partner and her children in tow. It runs about 90 minutes, and uh, once again, it was really enjoyable to see uh, Professor Mauksu And she seems to be handling the pandemic quite well. It seems like everybody is handling the pandemic quite well, except if you're in the United States or perhaps Brazil. Um, And so it was good to see her safe and healthy and doing well. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Malksu. That runs about 90 minutes here on the Hayseed Scholar Podcast. Enjoy. So you were born and grew up in Estonia. Yes, I was. I was born in a small, uh, small place in southern Estonia, which uh, uh, has been recently elected the Finno-Ukraine capital of culture of 2021. I found out <laughs> it's it's called Lavia Baloya, and it's it's historically the place where uh, sort of the the rich earth. Uh, meant that uh, the farmers could send their sons. Of course, they were sons 
to the university, to the school, and, and it has always been sort of educationally intense place. And I grew up there. It's a, it's a small place, uh, 1,400 people, oh, wow. now even less. Mm. And, uh, and, uh, and then, uh, uh, then I went uh, to Tartu, uh, which is the university town, mm -hmm. the university town in, in the small Estonia. And, uh, and it's, it's, it is this nice, nice 19th century uh, town. Mm. Uh, also in its vibe, if you will, mm. uh, slightly uh, sleepy as the university towns are, but you know very pretty, very picturesque, and and of course you know growing up in the small place I was, the start to back then was for me like you know you know the Chekhov's novels, mm -hmm. Three Sisters, Moscow, Moscow. So this was my initial Moscow. Um, so when you when you were growing up in your small town, um, you were th this was it still? Uh, it, 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 this was before the uh, the fall, right? This is before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. This end. was so I had a very Cold War childhood. I was a sort of a, grew up in the Soviet Union. I was uh, uh, I just recently did the math. I was four years old when this incident with uh, the guy that you also have in your book, I believe, in your restraint book, Stanislav Petrov. Yes, yes. Uh, over this, uh, you know, supposed uh, nuclear attack on mm -hmm. the Soviet Union, uh, which turned out to be the false alarm. And, and luckily, uh, this, the Soviet commander did exercise restraints. But uh, our childhood was uh, very much actually, um, I wouldn't quite say under the clouds, but, you know, the early years at school, we would, for instance, have these regular exercises, civil defense exercises, in case there is obviously an American nuclear attack. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I think I had this, uh, uh, you know, in memory studies, there is this um, cookie, Madeline, uh, is it Madeline cookie effect? Uh, that something, an object reminds you of something in the past. So now when we have these face masks, right? So when, then we had to sew ourselves these little you know, medical material made masks and uh, as if they would sort of protect you against the nuclear dust. <laughs> so this was another, you know, interesting instance of, of course, uh, you know, ritual, uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, well, and it's, um, I mean, we kind of, I, I still vaguely remember in the early 80s, um, like the early, like maybe 1980, 1981, when I was in kindergarten, they were still kind of doing in my little uh, sort of small town in Iowa, the duck and cover at school, um, which, you know, Lewis, Lewis Black, one of my favorite comedians has done this great bit where he's like, you know, I had to wrap my mind around at a certain point that the adults in my community thought that uh, I could duck and cover underneath my desk and I would be saved by a nuclear fireball underneath a piece of wood, right? <laughs> so, but you also had... Um, we had it. Yeah, and, but, but I remember um, in Lund when, when Marcos, uh, Marco, uh, you and I were, were chatting one evening um, because the Chernobyl miniseries had, had just mm -hmm. come out. And you guys were, were talking about it. I hadn't seen it. But then I think it, I vaguely remember that you remember the Chernobyl 
accident, right? And were, were you t there, there were certain kinds of pills that you had to take or whatever that they were distributing? Or was it one of these things that uh, it, it, it was the, the information that you were getting was still a little bit murky at the time? Yeah, well, the thing was that you wouldn't get official information. So it would be basically all hearsay and it would be all with a great delay. But, you know, as, as we now know, it was also the sort of the first proper kick into the, into the sort of uh, uh, mud colors of the Soviet Union, if you will. Uh, we didn't have, at least as kids, I don't remember this, this pills thing. I mean, this was something that, uh, that was the case in Belarus. But what we did have were the kids who uh, would be uh, sort of rescued from the region or from the nearby regions to spend their summers in our school. And, you know, you can also imagine, of course, the, the controversy this would cause among the parents that, you know, they are like little moving nuclear clouds uh, contaminating our little village and children. And, and, uh, and this was sort of a pretty, pretty close palpable contact. And of course, in this small place where I grew up, uh, obviously, you know, one of these, these great policies, great legacies of the Soviet Union was the free movement of people within the Soviet Union, also the sort of the Sovietization of, uh, of the, uh, uh, Westernmost and, and southernmost, and all the other republics besides, besides uh, Russia, which meant that uh, we had quite a considerable uh, Russian-speaking population for this small place. Uh, but and was also, your I'm I'm sorry, was your instruction in school in Russian, or was it uh, only in Estonian, or was it both? Uh, it was Estonian, mm -hmm. uh, but we had to start uh, learning Russian vocabulary already in the kindergarten. Oh, wow. Which I missed because I, uh, uh, my little sister was born and then I stayed the last kindergarten year at home with my mother. And, you know, everyone comes to school, they all know what Fox is called and, and, and all this essential vocabulary. So already I had a late start. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, we, we had basically Russian since grade one, but, you know, it is... It had this unfortunate fate, as, as I think the occupants' languages do have, that, uh, that uh, the excitement about learning it uh, didn't really uh, lend itself. So, so unfortunately, regardless of all the, all the efforts, but also, I, I'd say, not, not the too excellent pedagogy that was involved, uh, pretty stale, textbooks and you know learn everything by heart and 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 i interrupted you when you were talking about the, the there were ethnic russians that were also in estonia yeah there were also there were quite uh, quite some ukrainians and and belarusians also in uh, in this uh, part uh, or you know for a considerably small community anyway so so uh, you know in that sense the the connections for instance to uh, the other uh, peoples, including Ukrainians, who were most directly affected by this Chernobyl catastrophe, uh, were already, of course, there. So it, it wasn't like, you know, an, a, a great ethnic surprise to have uh, the Ukrainian kids around. But, but it was sort of the, you know, the, 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 sad, the sad communion uh, in that sense uh, that, uh, that you would have due to this uh, shared uh, victimhood in a way.
was your um was your family very political um i mean i know there's there's a limited amount of agency that uh, mm. families can have under sort of uh, occupation so to speak but um but i mean you were maybe i'm thinking maybe 13 12 11 when uh estonia uh, got its independence right because the the, the right. three baltic yeah the three baltic yeah. countries got independence right around the same time i want to say yeah, yeah. Um, I was about 11 12 uh, my brother was extremely sort of, uh, uh, he's, he's around five years older than okay. me and he was, you know, the sort of illuminator and, and, and always ahead of the curve and always sort of lecturing us also about uh, uh, which faction was going the right direction and, and, and which, which one wasn't. So, so he definitely was the sort of key educational influence in terms of the political but also, of course, also, I remember my father, you know, listening secretly, the voice of America, which, you know, obviously now post-Cold War is in a different context, but then <laughs> yes, it's it is. great, great, great <laughs> deed and, and, and uh, you know, with, with our very uh, a-technical family, also the radio that I remember was probably from pre-Cold War era, so, so uh, but, I mean, uh, in terms of the pedigree, yes, our great grandfather actually was uh, a politician in the in the uh, during the so-called first republic before the before the Soviets came in. Which is so, the inter, kind of the interwar period, yes, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so you know it was sort of the the, the basic backbone that something was very off with uh, this order of things under which we had to grow up and live in uh, this was sort of put into you with with uh, mother's milk already so. well and then um did your did your brother go to college first before you did before you went yes. to tartu yes. yeah so was the idea even from a young young age and i'm wondering if the structural change of the of the end of the cold war impacted this at all but was the idea um, always that you were uh, uh, going to eventually go to university or did or was it something that uh, was modified a little bit after 1991 or 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 was the idea not even determined until uh, you were getting closer to, to having to make that decision yourself? Well, I think it was never the question uh, in the sense that of course we would go of course we would go to Tartu that was also the sort of you know, everyone in the family had done so previously. My my grandma uh, used to say that the Ola, the the sort of the nice room of the University of Tartu, is the most sacred place in Estonia. <laughs> so that sort of gives you the sense of, of uh, um, you know, also the sort of symbolic significance of this place. So yeah, he he went first. Uh, he uh, uh, studied and became an international law. Uh, lawyer, international law professor, and uh, and he also sort of cultivated and and pushed me very intensely from a pretty early age that you have to decide. You know, I, I'm 14. I'm sort of playing around in our summer house. You have to decide now who 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 you shall become and what what you shall study. And of course, you know, it caused some pangs of of pain. And, uh, and of course, you know, it, it was as, as these great threshold moments are, I mean, you, you know, the world is your oyster, there are so many choices, so many things one could possibly do. And I, I did consider for a long while, actually, uh, studying psychiatry, uh, 
because you know also there is a quite quite pedigree of doctors in the family and and uh, and I you, know, you you would browse these books that that uh, uh, father had at home and and these were the most exciting ones of course even though you know they were also Soviet psychiatry books which which uh, back then I guess I didn't quite quite uh, put them into the right context nor had I read Foucault. Uh, at the time, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was one one of these plans. But then, of course, you know, I realized that well, in order to do that, you actually had to start studying regular medicine, you know, with all the things involved, you know, cutting up dead bodies, and basically, for me, the the sort of decisive point was where I thought that okay, so eventually, you sit in this reception room. There is this person that comes. You know, acute psychosis case, depression. Do I actually want to deal with a real person, or do I actually want to deal with these ideas? And uh, and that sort of sealed it, right? So so psychiatry was off. And how then did you did you um, decide to move to uh, sociology as your as your mm -hmm. major then? Well, was there was like a, a particular professor? Was there something mm -hmm. that you had you know read uh, from from your dad's mm -hmm. books? Uh, what was what was sort of the the impetus for that? Again, you know, it wasn't too straightforward. I, you know, this was all. Uh, there were many first time things that happened during the year when I graduated from the high school and then went to the university. So the first first thing, uh, or inaugural thing that happened was. Um, sort of state exams and you know you were to be then sort of uh, pushed into a certain direction according to the results of these exams and um, and then you know also wanting to be on the safe side coming from a very sort of small place small school without an adequate sense of comparison you know peer comparison I thought okay I go for the sort of safe option uh, first um, because I got very good grades in these exams so I put one of my choices law uh, and then uh, another choice initially was actually journalism and and uh, and when I sort of spilled the beans to my brother he said well what you know it's not that I'm it's not exactly an academic discipline, right? So, so I changed it on the spot. I mean, I had, of course, you know, thought about uh, thought, thought about this sociology quite a bit before, also political science, and it's an exciting thing because it hadn't uh, it hadn't been uh, taught. Uh, there was no social science department until a few years before I actually entered university. So this was a very new thing, very exciting thing. And initially, there was this emigre Estonian uh, political science professor who... Uh, I was just, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just going to ask you who your professors were and like where, right. their, where their PhDs are from and all of that. So yeah, please. Right. So Rein Tagevera, he, he was from, uh, you know, California, University of California, Irvine. And he came and established this, uh, you know, social science faculty. Uh, which was uh, initially, as far as I know, because I think the histories yet need to be written, some, somewhat of a very interdisciplinary umbrella thing without very clear uh, pathways to a concrete degree. I think it was a little bit modeled according to the American uh, uh, 
system where you would first you know start taking these general things and only on your third and fourth year become uh, begin specialization towards a particular major when i entered then uh, you know this had become more sort of i'd say germanized and and rigorous so you know you had to make a choice beforehand and uh, and when i looked at the political science uh, syllabus it was very american political science you know elections parties and i i wasn't into this i was into social theory and uh, and i i decided to go for sociology even though i didn't really know uh, much about the the professors there luckily there was one uh, uh, really exciting uh, uh, max weber specialist so so you know so it wasn't it wasn't too bad but but yeah the ir uh, sort of specialization decision actually came during my exchange year in the beautiful montana <laughs> we talked a little bit about this so how had you been to the united states before that exchange no. okay no, no. and um and which town in in montana missoula, missoula, missoula. of course yes uh, yeah um so yeah i was going to ask you what what that was like uh what uh, that experience was like and what it was like to i mean how how was your english by then uh by the time that you well of course you know you would think that it's it's excellent <laughs> and, <then you> go <laughs> there and get started and realize that well you know there might be some to improve i think it was all right i mean i i didn't have any uh, you know, there obviously were other exchange students who, who uh, you know, perhaps were, were more challenged in the beginning. But of course, you know, it's, it's the sort of different style of engagement, academically speaking, that you actually have access to all this literature, which wasn't there at Tartu uh, in the late 1990s. And you're actually also supposed to read uh, quite significant amounts. And, uh, and of course, you know, you... As, as anyone who has been deprived of these resources, you become a little bit, you know, excited about these things and then read a lot. Um, so in that sense, it was actually surprisingly uh, nice academically because it's obviously it's extremely remote. Uh, it's very empty. It's a very culturally pretty distinct. Uh, but nature-wise, gorgeous. And I had this wonderful uh, human rights uh, specialized history professor, who I think, Paul Lauren, uh, who uh, was, I think, decisive in, in terms of me, you know, going along this path I eventually went down. So, uh, so in that sense, it was a good, good year. Of course, you know, also socially, it was also, uh, sometimes a bit uh, lonely as these these times are i was 20 years old yeah did you did you interact i mean did you uh, get a group of friends there yeah, uh, yeah. i i mean i i do re i do remember this period so what year would this have been I, i'm wondering it was 1999 2000 okay so uh, a few years before that when i was uh, an undergrad i mean uh um, folks from the former Soviet spaces, uh, students, exchange students. Mm -hmm. There, I, I just remember a lot of uh, a lot of my my students that were like down the hall in the dorm or whatever mm -hmm. were either from uh, Ukraine, Belarus, mm -hmm. Moldova, um, and so I, I just remember that period of time us uh, interacting. And um, 
but of course, like we were dudes. And so, you know, we were all a bit <laughs> immature and, you know, idiotic really? and raised on cold war, you know, raw, raw films. So, um, so I'm sure that we weren't the easiest uh, bunch of blokes to, to interact with, but, um, but you did have a, a group of friends to. Yeah. And I had, I, I mean, I, I had initially an American local girl, uh, roommates and, uh, and I had some American friends, of course, you know, as usually happens in this context, you would make friends with other foreign students. So, you know, I had later, I switched to a French roommate and then we had lots of fun together. And, and uh, you know, it, 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 was, it was a lovely time. But of course, you know, in a small place where you are dependent on having a car, which I didn't have, and I learned to drive at a very, you know, ripe old age, which is another story. Um, and I was 20, right? So I, I was also challenged, um, you know, in, in terms of going out. So again, I don't know, maybe we need to edit this out, but I had this uh, helpful ID from my French friend, which was her swimming, swimming pass from uh, the University of Lille. So <laughs> and she had Rasta hair. <laughs> so I would sometimes, you know, use this pass oh well see so you still find your way around <laughs> well yeah and you know without any any accidents also so. yeah and so um so when would would the exchange year have been like the equivalent in the u.s of like your junior year or yes junior or, yeah. year third year so, so you still came back to tartu for mm -hmm. your final sort of uh senior year and by then you you did have a bit of a uh, a focus on what uh, your your emphasis would be. Were you already were you already thinking about graduate school? Um, so you said I, it sounded like probably by this time your your brother is either working through graduate school or is already a professor. So was that something that you were you had already determined by the time you got back to Tartu before you went to graduate school, or when did that decision come into play? Hmm. Well, I. Again, I don't, I don't want to sound too ballsy, but I knew when I entered the university that that's what I want to do. So, so I knew that I, I mean, I did play around with this idea and perhaps I played around with the idea of a diplomatic career more intensely after Montana than before. Uh, and after this, I should say also, this was all thanks to Papa Shorosh, of course, you know, both, both Montana and, and what came after. I had a few months in uh, D.C., uh, what Soros paid for, for this internship scholarship so I could intern at the Estonian embassy, which was an exciting time because Estonia, of course, was not yet at NATO and there were presidential elections in the United States and, you know, it was all uh, very, very vibrant. So I, you know, entertained this idea for a short while and, and then went back to Tartu, but, but obviously, you know, even with a diplomatic uh, route of action, I knew that at least uh, masters I, I want to go for. And so at Tartu, then I realized that, you know, having had uh, an intellectual wild ride and, and taking uh, mostly political science classes throughout my first years, I now actually needed to take all these sociology classes in order to graduate. I mean, it was a very sort of wild time, actually, because people would sometimes graduate with three bachelors in, in four years. So you would have like different majors. And by the time I also entertained doing like two majors or, or double major, sociology and political science, then, then they already had put the disciplining actions 
<laughs> so I thought, well, maybe it doesn't make sense to write two bachelor's thesis. Maybe it makes sense to write, you know, a master's thesis instead afterwards. So, so I did graduate with sociology, but the final year at Tartu wasn't very exciting academically because I had to take, as I said, the classes, you know, sociology of childhood, uh, psycholo family psychology, I mean, stuff you had to sort of actively think interesting for yourself. Uh, which wasn't and, organic. And, and were you sorting out where you wanted to, like, like not just the particular institution, but the, the, the geographic academy that you mm -hmm. wanted to go to graduate school? Um, and, and were there, I mean, could you have gone on to, to get a master's in Tartu? Or, uh, or was it, were you always just focused on, I, I want to go to the UK, I want to go to uh, Cambridge or, or something uh, equivalent? Um, or was even maybe going back to the States for graduate, mm -hmm. graduate school an option? Well, of course, you know, the, the States was one of these options that I, that I uh, actively thought about and, and also tried, but I, I didn't uh, manage to secure a scholarship. So, so that sort of sealed it because, because without one, you know, I tried, I mean, I don't remember that I was particularly well informed about the options. I, I did try Fulbright uh, and I think that was more or less it. And I applied to, you know, decent places, but I also remember that this, uh, what what the states have the GRE right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, GRE. Quite, you know, yep. it, it, it was like a different universe, which I you know I also realized that well, indeed, the English language is perhaps with certain depths I I never realized, uh, and uh, and I I think I needed to go to Helsinki to actually take that GRE test, and uh, or you know you have this yep. sort of again memory. It was pouring rain. You arrive into this room with sort of completely soaked, soaked hair, and you have to take this photograph that goes onto this exam, and you look like a wet dog on this picture. So it wasn't a good time. <laughs> Do I you still have the picture? I think it is somewhere, but I oh, that probably <laughs> that we have to, we have to get that picture. Oh. <laughs> We we have to we have to put it up uh, on um, you know like we'll bring you out to Utah for a talk and 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 your profile Use picture it. will be. <laughs> I think it's 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 sort of it it has a certain concentration of <laughs> pathetic existence that is difficult to surmount. Um, anyway. and, well, and I was going to ask you: Was the GRE um, was it a computer? Uh, did you take yes. it on a computer yes. then? Because like right around the, the in the late nineties, I took the GRE twice. Because I mean, I only speak English, and I, I did really poorly on it the first time. And I took one of the last paper-based GREs, uh -huh. and then they switched over to computer. And now, of course, you can take it anywhere. But even the computer-based uh, test, you had you did you had to drive to a particular location, mm -hmm. um, you know, quite quite a ways away. But I I didn't get my picture taken, so at least I don't remember <laughs> my picture taken. So I feel like I've been cheated uh, out of the experience. Well, I guess it just shows that, you know, maybe I'm more vain that I remember this, this fact so vividly. But it, it just, you know, it probably is one of the worst photos ever taken of me. So, so you, you somehow do remember. So I think the GRE didn't go also that well. I don't remember these, these uh, exact numbers uh, and, and, you know, which sections weren't. Anyway, it sort of, <laughs> it didn't quite prove that I'm a genius, right? So the, the US route uh, didn't work out. And, uh, and 
I mean, I, you know, not that I sort of desperately counted on it. It would have been obviously nice, but of course, I was also quite oblivious to to you know one thing leading to another, and and uh, maybe the structural weight of this uh, choice and decision at the time, of course. So I did. Uh, I mean, obviously, my sort of foreign graduate school going was completely dependent on getting a scholarship because there was absolutely no way uh, you know my my family could have funded this kind of thing. Uh, so I did. Uh, apply for this uh, British achievement scheme and then you had to choose three uh, UK universities and uh, and it was a, another interesting story because I think I was the first under the line and then um, one British water company bought up the uh, Tallinn where I lived in the capital city water whatever something system and you know wanted to lobby uh, and and have a have a good sort of relationship with the uh, with the embassy and 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 with the British uh, representation there, and they gave one scholarship. So I actually got the scholarship from Tallinn Water, uh, <laughs> which was the uh, you know it was officially Chimning, but but you know the actual money was coughed up by uh, by uh, by a private company. So, uh, and, but you know. Your beggars aren't choosers. I was extremely happy. I remember when I got the news, I was uh, uh, because I already had received the responses from these universities that I was accepted. Uh, and, you know, also I had to make a choice between them, except for LSE that politely wrote that, well, you surely understand that we only accept the best ones. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first brushing with, uh, you know, the British uh, style. Yes, uh, of, yes. Of engagement, uh, the sort of <laughs> oppitiness that I, I wasn't then, of course, in my naivete, absolutely uh, not prepared for. Mm. But anyway, then, then uh, I was in this, uh, it was a summer university, a sort of sweltering July, early July in Berlin, Deutsche uh, Gesellschaft für Auswärtige Politik. And, you know, it was still the time when obviously no smartphones and we would have to queue up to check our email on this one computer in the, in the uh, you know, institute's lab. And then I received the news that, you know, you actually get the funding and, and it's all fine. So, uh, Very so in Berlin. Like yes, in, that, in Berlin, yeah. yes. Uh -huh. And that was really, uh, you know, wonderful, of course. Mm -hmm. so, so then, uh, yeah, then, you know, Cambridge was obviously one choice. Uh, I also got Abris with, which, you know, obviously for all these, Sort of intellectual legacy I was very excited and torn about but but then uh, you know the pragmatist also in me decided this way also another option was uh, Geneva Graduate Institute oh uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah this this and but you know again this would have I mean they did offer some scholarship but you know mm -hmm. it's also Geneva and uh, and I think it would not quite have been sufficient. And right, but intellectually, you you can't go wrong with any any one of those three. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm just thinking of all the all the people that you would have been situated Indeed. with at any one mm -hmm. of those uh, three at that time. I mean, I you know I'm I'm, I'm sure you've done the sort of. Uh, counterfactual retrospectively in your mind. yes, yes. You, you yeah. sort of see you know this could have been the life world for for these years and who knows where it you know would have would have taken 
but it, it looks like you you um, got through your MPhil fairly quickly at uh, Cambridge, and so was the um, uh, was the intention always to to finish the master's, get your uh, um, master's, and then move right into a PhD there, one in international relations, one in international studies, or was it one of those where you'd kind of just take it one step at a time once you got there? It was this type where you sort of take master's first and then, you know, PhD is a completely separate process. So at the time I wasn't, I think, yet allowing myself to dream or, or it was too sort of, far-fetched think of a PhD immediately after. It was also a very short program, as you rightly noticed. It was just a one, one year, a very packed program. You know, the theory was that this was in order to compete with the other place, of course, Oxford's, that had, I think, a year and a half or a two-year program. And, um, and so, yeah, it was also, um, I think I, I just sort of had a pretty short horizon back at the, at the time. So I would just focus on this I did uh, I did think of towards the end uh, of the year uh, of applying I wrote up some sort of uh, you know not not very good proposal and I even got interviews I think which I didn't take uh, with I think Gates or, or something because I decided uh, also you know for emotional reasons uh, back at the time uh to to go back and i thought that i want to try uh at least to make myself try the practical side of this before i sort of properly decide uh and again you know sort of borrowing <clears throat> borrowing from uh, from uh, my brother's experience who who did once practice uh, at some court at hard to just to you know not to be the lawyer who has never been to a courtroom and, and I guess I also thought that, you know, it's, it's still an exciting time. It was an exciting time. Estonia had, uh, had just, uh, uh, or, yeah, had just become a member of NATO. And, uh, and so I went and, and uh, started uh, a stint uh, at the Estonian Ministry of Defence, to which my old uh, poet friend uh, from Tartu said, oh, defense, I always imagined you would go with the diplomats. <laughs> <laughs> and and what, what was your position in the, in, in the, um, in the ministry then? Um, <laughs> with the diplomats. <laughs> you know, the, the jokes from, you know, these countless British series, are you already inside the ministry or still washing the windows from the outside? <laughs> I mean, again, you know, see, Estonian statehood and state was very young then, and it was mm -hmm. actually a very vibrant young crowd. So I, you know, you would get... Well, and, and when was, when was um, NATO membership, when did it become official? In 2002? Uh, 2002 was the invitation, and I think it was sort of, the ceremony was, was two years later, the accession. So you're something. right, I mean, you're right basically, there, right at the, at the beginning of it. Yeah. Basically, at the time, yes. So uh, it, was a, it was a policy planning department, modestly, so it would go from your master's. But obviously, you know, it, it sounds much more grandiose than the reality really was. So I could tell you manifold stories about, obviously it was very male, uh, also very, uh, you know, you would have senior male colleagues who would, for instance, at the meetings where 
women would say something would start uh, mimicking the voice of a chicken. You know, can you can you imagine this sort of atmosphere? It's it's a pre-feminist era. Yes. So so you know to give you some context. So this wasn't exactly you know my level of tolerance was was already westernized by the time, right? But it had nice people that were, you know, also intellectually nice people. So I was sitting in this policy planning department. Basically, I think I had two main tasks. One task was to read and report on foreign news every morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and another one was uh, to write speeches for the minister, which was pretty enjoyable, actually. So, so um, so yeah, I think these were the main things. This is what I can remember. But it was just one year because already sort of four months through it, I realized that, well, no. No. <laughs> I, I've received the experience, you know, and, and it's, it's good. Now I know for sure mm -hmm. it's not for me. And then I reconnected with my uh, MPhil supervisor, Tark Barkavi. Oh, so he, he was your MPhil supervisor yes, as well? Already, okay. Yes, already, yes. Mm -hmm. And and luckily, you know, also due to this, of course, the new uh, Europeans mm -hmm. uh, being and having to be socialized into also the European academia, uh, there was this new money uh, that uh, Mette Elstrup San Giovanni uh, at Cambridge had applied for, the sort of Marie Curie early career framework. And, uh, and I got one of these, these scholarship and then scholarships and then it was, it was sort of, you know, peace, yeah. three years peace, <laughs> uh, happy day. And also, as I later heard from, from Tarak, there actually had been, you know, an almost miss because somebody had put a paper in the wrong pile or some, you know, one of these ludicrous incidents mm. that might be decisive. Uh, and then, um, did was were you already into Edward Said uh, and his scholarship and the sort of approach that came to define your your um, what became your your mm -hmm. first uh, sort of wave of publications, including I think probably the the equivalent of the dissertation in the U.S. What what uh, became your Ph.D. thesis? Um, were were you already in into that in your during your master's training, or was it uh, was that something that uh, obviously, in in developing um, some of these ideas with with Tarek as a supervisor, mm. uh, was that something that was a little bit later after you went back? I think it certainly came more systematically later. Uh, but uh, the basic realization that you know there is such a thing. <laughs> Uh, as as a post-colonial perspective, and you know, basically the the study of the other's gaze, right, and and you know what it does, uh, how it's it's politically productive, how it's also potentially and usually you know injuring in in particular ways. This was obviously already that during my masters because this was the study of uh, of enabling uh, NATO membership for the Baltic states. But it was still more sort of, you know, uh, policy oriented, the vibe of the time, and, and it maybe, you know, started scratching on these issues, but not, not really properly. So, so yes, it, it, it came later and I'm probably still not, you know, I'm not sure whether I've been a good uh, <laughs> disciple 
uh, of of you know all these all these great things that Tarak himself has has been doing, but he certainly has inspired me in uh, in massive ways and also in very unexpected ways because uh, because something you know in this fascination of uh, war and its legacies, even though we of course approach it quite differently, probably you know deeds originally come from him. Uh, and this period of time at Cambridge, I'm noticing, I, if, if you just take even just a glance at your CV, um, you're actually really becoming active uh, in, in the field. Uh, you're, you're presenting at some of these uh, conferences. I, I, I saw very way, 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 way down uh, in like the third or fourth page of your CV that you presented at the infamous um, Cork, uh, Visa in, in Ireland. Uh, do you remember this really foggy Visa in 2006? It was like, oh, in I December. do. Yeah, I, do. I, I was there too. I mean, I'm thinking of all the different, you know, opportunities to intersect and, and, we, and we didn't meet. And we time. didn't meet, I know. Um, but then I'm also noticing the other aspect of this. So you're, you're being professionalized in the conferences uh, uh, during this period of time. You're publishing during this period of time in English-based ISA journals or international relations journals, but then you're also publishing in Estonian journals as well. And so I'm wondering, um, I mean, you're not the first multilingual uh, academic that I've, I've interviewed for this podcast, but I, I am kind of curious as to, um, is was that a, a conscious strategy? Was it something that it was important for you to, I mean, I get, you know, I, I always had trouble publishing in my only language, which is English, but um, so I can only imagine how difficult it is to, to be able to, to be prolific as you, you have been in, in several languages, but was that a conscious strategy to, you know, publish in Estonian journals, publish in uh, English uh, primarily journals? Um, how did, how does, how does that work or how did that work for you? Mm -hmm. Well, that's an excellent question because it's. Uh, I think it it touches upon upon this uh, uh, important element of, of course, my own being and identity, which is a very conscious uh, uh, Estonianness. Uh, because you know, as you know, it's a very small tribe, right? It's it's uh, basically million three hundred people uh, with uh, with an independent state. And, uh, and obviously, you know, also due to the growing up context and this sort of certain delay of discovery, certain suppression. I mean, during my undergraduate years, I was, you know, both intellectually very much interested in this sort of Estonian thought as little there was, right, political thought and, 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 uh, and also particularly the sort of diplomatic uh, writings. And I was also sort of practicing this because I, I belong to, I still do, it's a lifelong membership uh, uh, to, uh, I mean, effectively it's a sorority, right? I know it sounds, rings a very wrong bell in the American context. It's, uh, it's actually modeled according to the Baltic German um, uh, students' uh, sort of corporations, which rings, again, you know, rings a wrong bell in a different way. But it was the first female organization. It was established in 1920. And then it was part of this sort of, you know, like, like a student body equivalent of restoring the Estonian state post 
Soviet occupation. So I was very active in this organization. It's, it's called, don't tell that to Jelena, it's called uh, the Daughters of the Fatherland. <laughs> in Latin. So, uh, so, you know, it gives you the vibe, right? But, uh, I mean, it's, you know, not to give the wrong impression. It's, uh, it's uh, basically, it was, it was uh, a student society that, uh, in a way, you know, grew along with a, I don't want to say Second Republic, because it's, it's uh, incorrect uh, legally uh, for all sorts of political reasons, but, you know, with a sort of restored uh, Estonian state and, and, uh, and also provided a very interesting context for sort of practicing, uh, probing uh, some of these ideas. What, what does it mean to be a member of, uh, of a small, uh, small linguistic and cultural uh, community that, you know, has had perhaps twice in, in, in uh, recent history this, this political chance. Uh, which um, you know many would would quite pale in comparison uh, in terms of being offered one and and so uh, this was a very conscious choice i mean i I very much followed this uh, there was this uh, one guy um, uh, estonian uh, sort of economist uh, in the 1930s who, who wrote that to be Estonian is a cultural mission which is something that you, you know you can basically of course expand on on the small nations and we also of course know the the uh, other uh, side of the coin if you if you take that too far but linguistically speaking you do realize that you know there is a certain uh, circulation uh, certain interaction that needs to happen if you in a way benefited uh, structurally from actually being Estonian at a very critical historical point in time that you would also feed some of these nice things that you've uh, you know actually sucked in uh, while traveling the world back to your own cultural context and, and this was perhaps something that was a more organic thing to do uh, the closer I was uh, physically to you know the actual living experience in Estonia and of course, you know, now I don't really practice that anymore. I mean, I still do get this pang of consciousness sometimes. And I do, you know, there was this uh, uh, last year, uh, not last year, a couple of years ago already now, the, the sort of great anniversary of the, of, of, of the state. And then I, I did, you know, then a little, little piece, even though it came, you know, the request came at the worst possible time, most busy. And it's one of these things that doesn't give you absolutely any brownie points anywhere. This is something that you just do, you know, because of this very mission. And um, oh, so that, that, that's actually fascinating because then I'm, now I'm wondering when you get to sort of the conclusion of your PhD was, was there always the intention to go, to try to go back to uh, Tartu uh, work there or I mean, anywhere in the, the like closer to uh, Estonia or did you also, uh, was it one, was it not necessarily either or, but like all of the above, you, you went on the market a little bit more broadly and ultimately you decided to, to go to Tartu because that's, uh, sort of where your your heart and and then eventually your head would be at hmm. uh, I think I was extremely naive 
and uh, and completely prepared for what comes after. Uh, I, I again, I didn't really properly think about it. I just thought, you know, I get my degree and I go uh, back and I start, you know, proper work as a grown-up person. I did apply, I think, for one junior research fellowship at Cambridge, uh, but since you know, as it usually happens, you know, the the there are many collapses that can happen during the, the graduate studies, uh, personally and, and, uh, and intellectually. So it wasn't, you know, the final year was tough and, uh, and I didn't have the mental energy to, uh, to uh, come up uh, with a new research project, really. So I, I did have something uh, and I think it was also intolerably uh, too modern for the tastes of Cambridge uh, where you know in order to actually succeed in this in these um, college fellowship schemes you should work you know on the 16th or 17th century which wasn't the case in my case well I mean how old are your uh, you have one child or two I, I two. two so how old are your children right now they are uh, almost nine and mm -hmm. uh, six nine and six okay yeah. so you I, because sometimes I, I, I could remember if they were a little bit older because sometimes then this is another consideration, right? Yes, um, but, yes. but this is BC for you. This is before children. So you didn't. Yes. Uh, so that wasn't <laughs> yet in the um, additionally in the mix in terms of whether to, to go back, bring the children back closer to family or anything. But no, not not yet. But but there was there was a guy. Right? Uh -huh. Oh, OK. OK. <laughs> So that certainly was was also there, and uh, now now my husband. Yeah. And, um, and is he Estonian? Yes. Yeah, and so yes. um, and your family's uh, is obviously still back uh, at this time uh, back, and so getting to be closer to them again was probably a, an additional aspect that was favorable. No, it's it's, it's one of these sort of natural things. But yes, I mean, you know, you asked uh, actually the very correct question in the sense that I did actually had planned, uh, I did plan and had planned to uh, to go back. Uh, and, and that was the sort of the original plan. I, I didn't quite realize, uh, nor did I have a very good overview of the structural issues that uh, that were there. And, and of course, I learned it as one does through trial and error the, and, and the hard way. Um, and initially, I actually went back to, um, to uh, this newly established think tank, uh, which was called back then International Center for Defense Studies, perhaps, and later you know, changed to Defense and Security, again, the diplomats softening uh, the edge a little bit, uh, which turned out to be, uh, you know, a great place uh, to actually turn the dissertation into a book, again, pragmatically speaking. So, so I did, you know, I did keep an eye on the job market. I did also realize uh, very quickly, as one does, uh, that, uh, you know, Tartu was happy to carry on with me, uh, basically adjuncting uh, forever. And... Uh, and I did apply, start applying to the uh, places in the UK. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I got one interview at Sussex. You did? Yes. And that's a, a bit of an infamous location too. So what was that interview like? 
Was that enjoyable? Uh, it was great and it was uh -huh. a good experience and I got the offer. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it was uh, another instance of these things that now have become so common and I found uh, to be, uh, you know, quite incredible back at the time. So I had a nice, pretty sort of cozy, comfortable, theoretical permanent job back in Estonia and they would offer me a 10-month teaching contract. Mm -hmm. At the time when I was, you know, really interested in publishing heavily and, and, sure. and turning turning the dissertation into a book, and I said no, mm -hmm. because it it did sound what it does look like, right? Not a good idea. Right. <laughs> well, that, I mean, so this is the the period of time your book is uh, published in 2010 with the new IR series, which I, I, I'm biased, but uh, I, I think that's a, a, a fantastic series. Um, and and especially at that time, at the end of the 2000s, early 2010s, it's, it's really getting... Um, sort of a, an identity, uh, if you will. And then your, um, your work on liminality uh, is, is starting to, to appear during this period of time. And then your approach to mnemonical uh, security is, is getting out there. And so um, I, I'm thinking that this is, a, this is a period of time when you're not only publishing a lot, but you're publishing these big, these big ideas. And so, um, and all of this before you end up going to, to, to Brussels. Uh, so it does sound like you were in kind of a good, um, sort of a good rhythm or cadence uh, when it came to uh, the work and the, your work-life balance and, and everything. Um, so did that make it, maybe it didn't, but did that make it um, uh, difficult to, to leave that? Or was it something where you were maybe getting um, not, not only were you going out in the market, but were you also getting uh, a few of these invitations to apply for this position and that position? Um, kind of what, uh, yeah, how, how did that sort of um, sort itself out? Yeah, that was a pretty, uh, I mean, it, you know, it's very nice uh, of you to summarize it this way. I think the reality is always much more of sweat, blood and tears, right? Yes, oh, of, I, course, I don't, of course. <laughs> I, I don't exactly remember this as a sort of poster, poster picture of, of work-life balance. Or, I mean, I think it was, it was a very nice period that was there post my PhD. You know, I was newly, uh, newly in love. Uh, you know, we traveled a lot. Uh, I had a nice, uh, nice job where I could actually read and write and... Uh, and yes, you know, had to go to the TV to also discuss things that I knew next to nothing about, which is, you know, finally what 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 sort of turned me uh, turned me away from from this because I I don't have much of this sort of think tanker's ability to to generate thoughts on anything and everything. Uh, so it was, you know, it it was a fine uh, fine time, I think. Uh, now we're no longer in BC era either, right? So your children are... Uh, uh, and then, you know, the first child came along 2011. Yeah. Uh, and Estonia, of course, has this wonderfully generous uh, parental leave policy, which basically saved me because I was then, you know, I was a petty postdoc. And, uh, and I had, a, you know, my postdoc contract. And then I, as it happens in Estonia, you would combine several things. You know, you have actually three masters and, and three different job contracts. And, 
and and this of course causes you know jealousy between the masters and and sometimes you know uh, not so uh, not so nice moments but but yes i mean you know uh, she came along and uh, and then uh, you know i i sort of managed to to actually carry on writing throughout uh, throughout this parental leave which was which was nice so actually it was this memory must be defended thing that I worked uh, yes. at the time when, when, when she was very small and, you know, that would be this, as you as a parent are, uh, are I'm sure, you know, well in the know of these this little hours that you negotiate <laughs> and then have for yourself and then that right. you use better than you've used any time in your life. I mean, you just <laughs> learn to suddenly actually use the time. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, so so that was that was then, and then uh, I went back uh, to work. I still also remember uh, the conversation I had with my uh, uh, academic supervisor uh, when I had to uh, spill the beans that now the second child is coming along. I mean, the conversation that all fem female colleagues, I'm sure, have manifold stories about that you know the this person would always be the the next to know after the husband right, right. <laughs> and i remember also the reaction it's difficult you know not to not to forget it, it was a very long silence really okay really. yeah I no, no and i shouldn't was. act like i'm surprised i know that the, that yeah. unfortunately that's more the norm than the exception yeah. but uh um yeah <laughs> so you know uh so I'm, I'm obviously it's it's again as any parent would know it's it's not a walk in the park uh, mm -hmm. particularly in the beginning so the most intense period was when they uh, both kids were really small and uh, my postdoc was sort of about to end uh, at the time of the second parental leave with no other things in sight and we were then back at Cambridge because of my husband's job then and uh, and I would you know have these these runs with two small kids you know one three years old and 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 one basically you know just a couple of months uh, and and sort of trying to enter the re-enter the market again from from this position applying like a mad woman and uh, and obviously you know from a very very insecure position uh emotionally and, and when you when you say applying uh like a mad woman um to, to extend that a little bit did that mean that you geographically had no um specificity you you were applying everywhere including the u.s market or australian market even or was it more uh, asia uh, australia asian market or was it more targeted a little bit um because mm -hmm. steve is steve an academic i should know this uh I'm sorry, your partner, is he an academic? Uh, his name is Ilmar. Uh, Ilmar, okay, I'm sorry. I, I thought I heard you say Steve earlier. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, it's all right. Is Ilmar, uh, is no, he... no, he's not an academic. Uh, he's, you mentioned uh, his position in Cambridge, though, so I didn't know if... Um... Yeah, it, it, it was, a, again, I, I'm not sure whether this can be mentioned. It was sort of the intelligence analysis thing near, uh, near there. I mean, you know, these things are never 
uh, in places like Cambridge. There are some, some uh, military bases somewhere in the fields. And I, of course, said that, you know, with two small kids, there is absolutely no way I'm going to live in a Miss Marple village. So it has to be, you know, a nice place. A nice place, a college town. Yeah, um, that's right. I, that, now that you say that, I remember his name. But he, um, it, was that at least portable enough of a position so that you could think a little bit more broadly about the market? Uh, uh, or? I mean, he was seconded from his job in Estonia to this. You know, it, it could have been extended. And so, so I, I was focused on the UK market at the time, but also I applied back, uh, back uh, you know, in places in Estonia, the the few there were, uh, but uh, you know, I guess again, uh, my my metaphors get ahead of me. I didn't apply to the U.S. market because of also the common knowledge that it doesn't really make sense to apply without the U.S. PhD, uh, and uh, and and uh, the Asian market wasn't even on my radar. So, so it was <laughs> still still sort of pretty limited. Um, but were there, I mean, were jobs, um, like how would you say how strong the market was at the time? Were, mm-hmm. were there jobs out there? I, I, I can't remember when the, the sort of uh, the beast of the, of the mm-hmm. ref really got on my radar. But mm-hmm. I, I do mm-hmm. vaguely remember the 2010s being a period of time when um, they would do these, uh, and I, I know that they've kind of reconfigured this a little bit, but they would do these pre-ref uh, you know, hiring bonanzas to try to mm-hmm. juice the, mm-hmm. the statistics a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you're obviously somebody that they could have done that with uh, particular institutions. And so I, I don't know if um, you were hitting the market right around the time when some of these uh, sort of, you know, um, uh, hiring think, frenzies would have been happening. Right. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I tried uh, some postdocs and uh, it was 2015 or so. Uh, but again, you know, it's 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 just uh, I'm I'm always joking that the the folder, the dossier, my CV of failures, is a very thick one. So so yeah, I mean, you know, what I had was a very nice um, autumn term at LSE just as a visiting fellow because uh, I obviously had uh, had failed to get the Marie Curie that I tried to get to be there, but I. I managed to work on on a piece that eventually became an article. So you know, but as you know, as we know in the ref world, uh, it's it's also called self-funded and unfunded research, which is actually not encouraged. So, so you, I mean, then you ended up. So this would be when when Maria and Brent are intersecting. Uh, yes, I, I, yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. This, this story when you wrote to me first, and and again, you know, it it is this beautiful story that says so much about you as a person and you as a you know the the generous academic mentor you are. Uh, this email could not have come uh, at a better time because you know now you, when you know the context, right? You know, I I I was pretty desperate. I was, uh, you know, you you see that basically. Uh, you know, you are you are like uh, I don't know if you know there is this uh, this nice nice uh, song by Manfred Mann uh, Earth Band uh, Mann's Earth Band uh, a clown without a circus. So basically, that was the feeling, <laughs> right? I was a clown without a circus, and and you know nobody wanted to see my act, and uh, and then you know you wrote uh, an extremely 
nice letter about this one article and uh, this was again it sort of reconnects you to to the things and obviously you know your own your own book was uh, completely vital in in getting to that article so well so, and i don't i i it's it's funny because i was sitting um 90% of that email I sent you was born of really being uh, excited about the article. The other 10% was a combination of boredom and caffeine uh, where <laughs> I, I was at a coffee shop and I had just spent, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks of reading some, some really bad uh, uh, papers. Uh, I don't even, I, I can't even remember if I was review. I, I can't even remember what the context. And so, um, so I was sitting down to try to do some of my own research and it, you know, I, getting these sort of uh, updates in my feed of these articles and then your article popped up and I read it just first word to last word straight through at this coffee shop called Sunset Coffee and it overlooks uh, one of our mountains here and so I still remember it and I thought mm. and there's also this dynamic um, I might have told you this uh, in Lund when when uh, one evening when we were all hanging out but there's also this dynamic where uh, especially especially dude academics. I, I don't, I didn't know if it would be appropriate to email uh, somebody just completely out of the blue and say, Hey, I really liked your article or whatever. But then I just thought, well, what the hell I I'm going to email her. This is a great article. So, uh, so I emailed you. Um, and, and that was also the moment for me when another thing clicked, it was sort of a, um, a moment of, uh, Oh, what's the word? Um, not, not self uh, sort of, Act, well, it was a moment where I realized that ontological security had like moved on to mm. another bigger, important, sort of more dynamic uh, stage. Um, and so I sent that email and I thought, oh, this will be fun. But then I also remember that it was only shortly, maybe about a year thereafter that we finally got to meet in person in yes. uh, Ljubljana. But I, I also remember, because this is the period of time when you're maybe at LSE, you're also associated with Tartu, and then you're shifting over to, to Kent in Brussels mm -hmm. that I didn't know which email of yours to use. <laughs> so, so thinking about liminality and which, which space you were actually Transitions in. and in-betweenness, yes. I've, I've had a fair share of that. You know, sometimes I wouldn't mind perhaps being more grounded, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, and then we indeed, then we got together in this uh, really exciting panel that already has produced really exciting stuff, right? You know, starting with Jelena's and your article, uh, Journal of Global Security Studies, uh, the moral injury piece that uh, I, uh, I guess I haven't told you yet. Yeah, I had this um, uh, very nice uh, supervision type of seminar I was teaching this year, uh, critical approaches to security. It usually has around 10 to 15 students. This spring I had two. So my popularity is obviously <laughs> taking strides, but it was lovely because they were both, you know, extremely dedicated students, the kind of work you enjoy uh, with, with teaching. And, and uh, we had this article and, and uh, this American guy, you know, he was completely over the, all, you know, all Americans should read this article. This explains <laughs> everything. And it was just the best moment. Oh. And, you know, came from a very heartfelt place. So. Oh, that's so much fun. See, but this is why Yelena and I, uh, well, especially her, this is why we, you know, um, rack up all of the, the, the Delta Sky Miles because we have to go to Europe to be able to find people that read 
<laughs> read our work and, and, and enjoy it. We have people here that read our work, but you know, maybe don't, or at least my work and maybe don't uh, feel the same way. But uh, um, yeah, but then you, uh, how, how was the, just for the whole family, how was the transition to moving to, to Brussels? Uh, was everyone excited? Were the kids excited? Do, do, do your children speak um, uh, several, are, are they multilingual like, like their parents or like how, how did getting settled in there uh, work itself well, I'd say out? now they are more multilingual than, than their parents. But uh, because, I mean, you know, uh, our daughter went to school in England. So, so she started in English. She actually developed this, this uh, you know, English accent, which, you know, took some effort to get rid of. And some Estonians, uh, Estonian vowels also needed to be actually worked into the vocabulary. And, you know, the, the sort of unfortunate bit was, of course, that we went back to Estonia from England for only eight months. This wasn't the plan. I mean, I obviously would have like to stay longer but uh, would have liked but uh, again you know you you realize that uh, you probably will not keep the fire going if you have a job that actually consists of four jobs and uh, right and, yeah. uh, and research doesn't seem to be one of them so so that sort of uh, uh, made the decision pretty fast and you know the transition wasn't too difficult. We got lucky, of course. We both got the uh, sort of, you know, I, I got the hint that there will be something uh, that, uh, you know, I could apply for at the same time when my husband got the invitation uh, to Brussels. So, so uh, we applied at the same time. We interviewed on the day of the Brussels attacks oh. uh, in March. Uh, in March of 2016? 16, yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you go from your Airbnb completely clueless. I haven't had a look at the news yet. And then you go in and, and you know, you realize what's happened. Of course, you know, nothing flies. Uh, and, uh, and he was actually pretty close to the, uh, to the Malbec uh, explosion. So, so it, you know, plus the kids are very small. They are back in Estonia. You don't know when you get back. It was all suddenly, you know, interviewing and, 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 uh, leaving a good impression was the least of my concerns. So maybe that helped. I don't know. But the transition was easy because the kids were so small. So you wouldn't really ask for their opinion. So you just uh, take them along and go. And, uh, and of course, it was a bit tough, of course, on, on them particularly because they had to go uh, without a single word in French to a French local French Catholic school, because that was the only one that, you know, with all the other preparations we could uh, find at a very short notice. And, and, and then, you know, maybe the first year was a bit tough, but they, they flourished and, and, and learned the language and now laugh when I try to read them in, in French. So this is like a family <laughs> joke. Yes. <laughs> yep. And that and that's never going to go in the other direction. Mm -hmm. It'll be that way the rest of your life. They'll be making fun of mom uh, and and Quite. dad for for a long Quite. time. Yeah. So where do you write? When do you write? How do you write? <laughs> How in the hell do you write so much? Well, Professor Moxley. And this question comes from you. <laughs> well, well, I've already told you I'm hopped up on uh, caffeine all the time, but. Um, but you know, I, I, 
I am curious. I mean, no, knowing you as, as well as I know you now, um, if it did, it, because I feel like we, we were kind of, we've had similar experiences and trajectories. Mm -hmm. I have two mm -hmm. children. Mm -hmm. um, and so before children and after children, a lot of these practices mm -hmm. change. Mm -hmm. uh, was it something that that, that that did change for you? Or mm -hmm. is, it, is it a little bit more consistent across time and space? I've definitely become more disciplined, but I think I learned how to write and what works for me during my final year, the sort of the, the infamous final year of PhD when, you know, you take the bottle of glue, you put it on the chair and you don't move. And, uh, and then, you know, basically this was the first time I realized that in order to get stuff done and to, to actually uh, feel okay about uh, myself, I need to start with writing the first thing in the morning after i've uh, done my sort of jogging uh, circle so this is what i usually do this is what works best and now again i've been able in a way thanks to this quarantine to restore this rhythm which which really works very well for me uh, because um, on under normal circumstances we now live for the sake of a nice garden a little bit outside of Brussels in flanders which means that you know, on a normal work day, I would have to cycle to work for, you know, about 11 kilometers through the ugliest entrepreneurs of Brussels. And, uh, and, and that doesn't quite allow you to fit in the jogging ground. So, you know, you get to work, you already are basically tired. Um, um, so, yeah. Uh, but I, are, are you, are, like, when you're running, I'm sorry to get really technical here, but I, 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 mean, I am kind of curious about this. So when you're getting up in the morning, you're, you're jogging, or even during the, the mm -hmm. cycling to, to work, maybe sometimes, were you thinking about writing a little bit uh, in anticipation of what you, you mm -hmm. wanted to write? And then if so, uh, I mean, you, you write on memory politics, so your memory is probably better than mine. But sometimes when I'm walking, I do get these ideas. Mm -hmm. But if I don't put mm -hmm. them down, they're lost forever. Um, mm -hmm. or, or is it one of those things where you, you can sequester and compartmentalize it a little bit? Mm -hmm. You're clearing your mind when you're running and then unloading your mind uh, mm -hmm. uh, when you're writing. But that's the sort of fortunate side effect of clearing one's mind that actually then, you know, usually you have this effect of uh, like, like a really good sleep or, you know, a nice shower that actually the problem sort of solves itself uh, without necessarily putting much intention uh, into solving it. So, so uh, I mean, I do use running very much as a meditative thing because this somehow, you know, works for me. Um, and I have... I guess got some, you know, connections. Yes, uh, at the time, and you know, there are basic physical physical explanations to to how how I think the brain needs some some regearing uh, via these practices. So, um, so yeah, I don't go out with the thought that well, you know, let's resolve this problem before <laughs> attacking the paper. Um, and you know, that's that's of course also the ideal. It doesn't always work this way, and and. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are good days, not so good days. Uh, but generally, I think the, the good thing, of course, uh, which uh, children teach you about is that um, the time is limited. So you have to use your time. And you are able to do that. You're, you're able to, or I mean, yeah, more or less, like you said, that the, the, there, mm -hmm. there are good days and bad days. But if you know you have, I don't know, two hours, right, where you got to mm -hmm. fit it in. Are you able to get yourself into the mindset to be able to, to just let it 
mm-hmm. let, let it flow well, in the pixel? Disappointingly less so uh, compared to the time when they were babies, because I think, you know, actually having this sort of life-changing experience that it is to become a parent and, you know, giving birth and growing a human being in your body and, you know, all this, all this complete haze that comes for years afterwards that, you know, you, you are sort of perpetually under uh, too little sleep. Uh, and something yes. happens to your brain, of course. Um, and then, uh, I think then, you know, you, you also sense it much more intensely, existentially speaking, that, well, it's now or never. So if you really don't use this slot when the baby is asleep, then... Uh, You're never you know, going to get it. You, you, you don't get it. But now, of course, it's more, you know... Uh, they they actually respect that you know you can you can do it which means that of course you know the the pressure is not that intense anymore mm-hmm. and uh, and so i think it's it's uh, i think you know in terms of the sort of writing practices it's just the, the new normal now and and it seems very nice and actually you know as as horrible as the surrounding uh, um, atmosphere about this COVID-19 has been, I mean, in terms of actually doing uh, things in the company of people uh, that you like, it has really not been bad for me. So. And, um, and so you mentioned you run uh, or jog. Um, Is there, and and you try to do that, uh, try to do it every day or in. in Well, not quite every day because, you know, with the age, you realize that you also have only one pair of knees. Right. <laughs> and particularly this one, the left knee, uh, wouldn't allow me to do it every day. I think I also had some sort of stress injury, actually, last year when I became a bit obsessive compulsive about this running. Yes, yeah, I've and, had that happen too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now, yeah, I do it like, like four, four times per week. Um, and uh, and that sort of keeps the balance. Mm-hmm. Are there nice. any any other things you do to uh, handle to, to help sort of alleviate stress and, mm-hmm. and sort of handle recharge the batteries, so mm-hmm. to speak? Well, I really like to be in the nature. So yeah. Know. So I was just gonna ask this. Your 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 pictures on Twitter are just like awesome, and I'll and I always get to them right when I'm really worked up over something, some, something you know in our. U.S. politics, which is always a mess, and then I'll see a picture that Maria will will tweet out, and it's in nature. It's just always awesome. And are those your pictures that that you're yes. you're taking? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, they're taken with a phone. I I, I don't. Uh, I mean, this is the compartment uh, in our family of of my husband's. He's a he's the photographer, and he has this actual collection of old Soviet uh, cameras that. Uh, that he, uh, you know, I think he has almost every specimen now, yeah, which is um, which is a lot. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it comes with the you know the the country roots, and and this is also why I like running because I I need to be in the nature. I need to see um, sort of the the rest of the world. I love my books, but I of course I I you know I really need the woods. Uh, and and the sea uh, and 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 it's 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 just you know the basic balance I think so. Do you go back to Estonia to visit? I mean, in a in a pro- post and or pre pandemic era, mm-hmm. era mm-hmm. Um, when it's safe to travel and everything. Uh, do, do you 
do you all try to get back to Estonia every once in a while to visit family? Yeah. When we spend the summers there, if you do, yes, we, we go for, you know, we, we shall try to go now next weekend. And, um, and, uh, and, you know, this is a very sort of, obviously you work some of the time there, but, but, but it's, it's still, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much the complete opposite to Brussels. Brussels has lovely sides to it, uh, but it's also, you know, very urban, it's very populated, it's, uh, you know, sometimes dirtier than New York City, which uh, is a pretty high bar. <laughs> that is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, you need to actually drive out to be in the nature. Whereas Estonia is, um, is a bit like Rocky Mountains, you know, you have this wild, empty spaces, it's all green, and, uh, and you have uh, not too many people. And I think, you know, for my nature, it actually works. And the kids love it too. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. they, of course, you know, they, they are the most persistent about, uh, about going back. We wanted to go already in the spring, but then of course COVID happens. Yeah, yeah. And we're, uh, we're, I'm in negotiations with, the, with our kids and uh, family mm. back in, in Iowa right now. Uh, of course here that, I mean, almost any state you go to that with the exception of the ones that were hit very, um, very severely early on, it's, it's getting, everything's getting worse. And so, you know, trying to make that calculation of, can we do this while it's, you know, the virus isn't remotely under control and the pandemic is still getting worse, but, but they also really want to see their grandparents and they just want to see family. And so I'm in kind of negotiations where, okay, if we do this, uh, then, you know, this, these are going to be all the conditions that you're going to have to meet. You have to wear your mask everywhere. You have to, um, you know, not, uh, you know, lobby grandma and grandpa to go to where you normally like to go to like the water park and that kind of stuff. So, so we're doing that. Um, so speaking of which, the pandemic, uh, what's your, <laughs> what is your sense of how the field of international relations, uh, mm. you know, like either, either all the way down to our own practices and or um, our associations uh, or academia itself, like do you have any sense of what the mm-hmm. impact's going to be on our vocation? Well, it's of course, you know, multi multi layered multi level thing uh, i mean some of the immediate practical impacts are what uh, what the crisis generally and this particular sort of existential viscerally felt crisis particularly would uh, make us realize i mean it exacerbates certain things uh, and uh, and certain tendencies and also certain structural inequalities and of course you know the reactions to that in one way or another with what is now happening in the US, we also see. I mean, I don't think every one of us will now become suddenly a global health scholar. Right, right. <laughs> but of course, this will have, you know, the new programs likely will, will be introduced and it, it will have some sort of a heyday uh, for some time to come. I mean, I'm a bit uh worried about you know what it's what the long-term effects or even the medium-term effects of of this digitalization uh might be for you know the teaching practices and of course yeah, well, i mean uh, will there be creative destruction right i mean is that going to have an impact indeed and and the 
and uh, you know one of the most beloved practices in the academia maybe not for you but conferencing <laughs> i mean it depends on the conference right oh, i'm okay with certain conferences just the big 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 ones well, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah 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 so so you know this this is already i mean one of these sort of most uh deep cutting uh, gripes uh, professionally of this pandemic period has been, you know, the experience of having to reel back a conference that you prepared uh, throughout the year. And then, you know, at a sort of, there is this intermission period where you still hope against the hope that, you know, maybe magically, you know, if we all don't look at each other, we can make it happen. And then you realize, okay, and then you just have to put it, put something that never had a chance to come to life to sleep. And, uh, and that, that was uh, sort of emotionally not exactly invigorating, but you know. So, so this is, this, these are these practical tiny things uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, still also we, if you, if you have to sort of fill your everyday with this, you, you are affected by it. And, and I guess, you know, the conference in culture, uh, as with the initial sort of emotional reaction, I think that many people had, you know, why would we have such a disease of globalization, right? That, you know, maybe we should now de-globalize and, and, and also rethink the way we, we do these things, you know, for the climate, for, for uh, you know, not getting, not contracting these, these, these uh, diseases and so on. I don't know. I mean, I, I still think we all need human contacts. I, 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 I completely agree. I mean, even though I, I get overwhelmed in big, big uh, conferences, mm. workshops, uh, smaller conferences, conferences where they're, you're in a set like an ESA or EWIS where you're mm. in a section mm. and you're, you're interacting and you have repetitive interaction uh, with your friends and colleagues and, and people that you're, you're meeting with. I, losing that... I, I really think is a, a big loss that probably to some degree defies being able to put it completely into words. Uh, uh, mm. You know, you really only kind of know it once you're in it and, and what you get from it. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I think about how fun Lund was to, to get everybody together, even for a couple of short days and, um, and fun in every sense. Right. And intellectually fun and, and uh, socially fun. And um, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, I, uh, in that sense, you know, I, I, the sort of climate conscious person in me goes to sleep and I, I you know, eventually you do make certain choices and, uh, and some things will not be good for something, whereas they do sustain you in the other way. And, uh, and you know, I, I agree it doesn't, at a certain point in Korea, probably make sense for many people to actually fly every year to the ISA in the States because of also the, uh, you know, relative thinness of this kind of conference experience that you described in the context of Lund and in the context of the smaller workshops where you really have this sort of... Uh, community, uh, you know, intellectual and, and emotionally interacting together. Uh, it probably doesn't make sense to do that, uh, at least not that often. But, uh, but it's still, you know, you, you can't uh, replace uh, a conference dinner, a post sort of uh, conference debrief uh, uh, over, over a beer or, or a glass of wine with, uh, with a Zoom 
right? So, I mean, it's it's better than nothing, as you know. The, it's 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 great, for instance, to talk now. Uh, yes, it's, it's certainly uh, you know much better than 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 not not having that option. But uh, yeah, so uh, you know, we we shall see. I mean, it's it's in the bigger picture of things, of course, in terms of things that will happen to IER. I mean, many things have happened this year. Uh, and, yes, and uh, I guess you know that there is severe competition also from from the debates, the the little sort of uh, storm in the teacup debates that we've had on on Twitter. Uh, yes, yes, yes. You know, racism and securitization uh, theory, uh, and then of course the sort of practical uh, implications of, of Black Lives Matter and and the repercussions. And so, thank you, Professor Maksu for visiting us today. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Yes. Uh, and uh, for keeping this, I mean, for having invented this format, which uh, as I never sort of tire of, of uh, saying, uh, I think it does very good things to, you know, not only for us, because we can sort of, you know, have fun chatting, yeah. Uh, to each other, but but to to younger people in in certain ways, because of of uh, showing them uh, certain trajectories, certain um, errors, uh, and uh, maybe you know things to to learn from. Cheers. Okay, that was my interview with Dr. Maria Malksu from the Brussels School of International Studies, the University of Kent, in Brussels. We had a fun conversation. It was just nice to see a friend and chat about things that relate to our current moment, but also are about broader and um, I think more meaningful, hopefully more meaningful and uh, more enjoyable topics as well. So if you haven't got a chance to check out Dr. Malksu's work, I highly suggest it. I highly recommend it. And I know you'll enjoy it as much as I have over the years. So the next week or so is going to be a stressful one for me. We're still trying to figure out how to manage some scheduling of in-person courses this fall at my university, like many uh, colleges and universities throughout the country and throughout the world. We're trying to figure out how best to do that. And so that's adding a little bit of stress to my summer. Um, but we should have that sorted out within the next week. And then I'm driving back to Iowa, where I am from, to see my brother in a physically distant manner. Uh, he who opens up this podcast every week, uh, my brother Kyle. I'm going to see my parents, Ted and Barb. And then my children are back there visiting uh, extended family, again, in a physically distant and safe manner. And then we're going to be driving back to Utah, uh, where we will remain for the rest of the summer. Um, but I do find that these trips, especially the road trips, uh, tend to clear my mind really well. So I'm looking forward to that and spend some time with family. And so whatever you all are doing out there, I hope it's productive, but also more importantly, relaxing and is helping you handle the stress of the times that we're in. So I'll have a few more interviews dropping over the next few weeks. And until then, cheers and take care. <laughs>